Well, hello there. Nice to see all of you. For those of you that will be joining us in the chapel, nice to have you as well. Today, you know, we've been in this series, if you will, that we've called Small Moments. And today's gonna be a little different, where a lot of times what we've been looking at these last couple of weeks is when there's these small moments that we engage in that God, you know, makes into huge things. Today's kind of the opposite. Today's this idea that sometimes we face these really big moments that actually when it comes to who God is and how God is, they're not as big for him and that there's a great encouragement for us in this. So I hope you walk away seeing that. You know, typically each summer, uh, our middle schoolers go to summer camp. They didn't this last summer because it's been a weird year. But typically uh, they go to summer camp and they go off to the mountains and there's this amazing camp there and they do all kinds of crazy things. There's all these adventures. So they ride mountain bikes and mountain scooters. If you don't know what a mountain scooter is, look it up. The videos of people crashing are, are fantastic. They're really fun. You get lost in that for a bit. They're, they climb this huge structure called an alpine tower. They go zip lining and some of them even decide to learn how to go rappelling. Anybody in here go rappelling before? Okay, cool. So like a very small number in this room. So if you don't know what rappelling is, or if you've never been, rappelling is essentially a way of getting down a large ledge or a cliff face, or just basically climbing down something you could not have climbed before. Put a harness on, you have a rope attached to you, generally you have a partner with you, uh, and, and you can scale down safely to get down something that you couldn't ordinarily do. It, it's actually a lot of fun. Uh, and so the camp built this 10-foot training wall and this 20-foot training wall for these middle schoolers and all the students, you know, to, to learn on this. And the very first year that I went, this was years ago, I got to watch everybody do this. I got to learn myself. Uh, but it was a blast watching the middle schoolers. 10-foot's not that tall, right? If I were to say, hey, it's a 10-foot ledge, you'd be like, well, I mean, that's fine. I could jump off that. Like, at worst, what would I do? Sprain my ankle? Like, we'll be fine. Uh, but... It was amazing as the middle schoolers went to go lean off of this 10 foot ledge. So they had their harness on, they're all roped in, they've got their belay partner and they're getting ready to go. There's this moment that would happen. I love it. All the confidence, all the fun. And then the, the instructor would go, okay, I want you to back up to the ledge with your ankles or your, your heels just kind of hanging off the end. And I just want you to lean back. And you'd suddenly watch them tense up because that defies every ounce of common sense we have, does it not? Like when was the last time you ever walked up to, the, to a large ledge and we're like, you know what I'm gonna do? Walk up to it backwards, I'm just gonna lean back. That's not the beginning of climbing down, that's the beginning of a free fall and our bodies and our heads don't like to bounce. We know better, right? So you'd watch them go do this and they'd freak out. They'd start to lean back and then they'd lean forward and someone would cling to the wall and get really awkward. It kind of looked like a baby deer learning to walk but the repelling equivalent. And then after a while, they get used to it and they get comfortable. They make their way down. Then they do the 20 foot wall. And then at the end of the week, there's this amazing opportunity. The camp director would get up and he'd say, all right, who wants to go to the big rock to do the big repelling deal? And that was a 120 foot face, not a 10 foot wall, not a 20 foot wall, 120 foot rock face on the side of a mountain. And when the director says this, you're with a bunch of middle schoolers who are all amped up and they can't see the rock face. So they're like, yes, everybody's very excited. Because it sounds awesome. And you think, if I do that, I'll be awesome, which is like the great goal of middle school. And so um, we're going to do this thing. And so everybody would sign up. I went to go with them. It's this amazing thing. We pull up and I watch everybody start to get quiet. Right? All the energy and all the enthusiasm and all the things in the room just start to shrink. And you watch everybody get quiet. And the people who are like, I'm going to go first. I'm going to go faster. I'm going to do it better. Suddenly, you're just kind of slowly backing away as they stare at this thing in front of them. Or even worse, when they got to the top and they're like trying to look over. 120 feet is a long way up. 
right? This is a really big deal. And so they all start to get nervous and this, they're staring at this obstacle in front of them that before they're like, I can do this. And then all of a sudden they're like, I can't do this. It's too big. I'm too small. And you just would watch people start to sit down or you watch people go, I think I'm just going to enjoy lunch. I don't think I'm going to do it anymore. And all this fear and trepidation would set in and people would all kind of back away from the thing in front of them. And it was exactly in that moment that the camp director on the year that I went, he goes and he goes, all right, so let me show you. And he puts on his harness and he puts on all this stuff and he goes running off the front of the cliff. He not only repelled, he did something called repelling Australian style. I'd never heard of it, never seen it. It was amazing. Normal repelling, you go backwards, the rope's in front of you and you get kind of lowered down. The way he did it, the rope was behind him and he leaned over and ran face forward towards the ground down the cliff face. And as he, or down, down towards the ground, uh, as he's lowering himself, and as he ran, all of these quiet, fearful, perplexed middle schoolers who were all kind of backing away from the thing that was in front of them because it was too big and they felt too small, it all started to shift. And all of a sudden you could hear people start to cheer and some people started to clap and people were like, that's amazing. And the kids who were suddenly like, I don't know if I'm gonna do it. were like, I wanna go first. And hey, can I go Australian style? And if you're a concerned parent, the answer was no, no, they could not as they all started to do it. It was this amazing thing. It was this crazy shift, but I found myself sitting there going, that was amazing how quickly that happened. What just happened? I want you to think about it for just a moment with me. Like what just happened? Because here's the truth, nothing changed. I mean, really, I want you to think about this. Absolutely nothing changed, but in a matter of a few moments, students went from seeing an obstacle so large they couldn't overcome it to something that they were eagerly waiting to jump into that they were excited to try, they're excited to step into. And here's the deal, the face didn't shrink. It was still 120 feet tall, right? Like the rock face stayed the rock face. Their partner stayed the same partner. Their harness stayed the same harness. The rope didn't get thicker and become suddenly more secure and amazing. It was the same rope that they had before. Absolutely nothing changed. So what happened? Here's what I think. I think what happened was when they saw the camp director go down that rock face first. And they saw his courage and they saw his confidence and they saw that not only did this not scare him, but that this was to be for their enjoyment and for their fun and that he could do this. There was something about it where that insurmountable obstacle began to shrink even though it remained 120 feet tall. There was something about the way he did that where suddenly the obstacle in front of them didn't seem as large that it, as it did before. And they found themselves thinking, you know what, if he's the one guiding us and he's doing it this way, then maybe we have a fighting chance. If he's going over it like that and he's the one responsible for all of us and he knows what this is and this isn't his first time out and he's got a track record in history and he's done this before, then maybe we actually can trust it. And all of a sudden that thing that felt insurmountable, impossible, shrinks down just enough to where they find themselves garnering enough courage to go, me first, I'm gonna jump in, I'm gonna do this. And it was really powerful. Consequently, one by one, each student kind of held their fears, gathered their courage, and stepped into the obstacle that was in front of them. I tell you that story, friends, because I want to ask you a question right now. And it's a personal question. And it's actually about your life right here and right now. And it's this, friends, in your life right now, what is the obstacle in front of you that feels so big or so daunting that you find yourself in your most honest of moments, maybe a little scared or a little nervous or feeling like, I don't think I can do this. 
And some part of you right here and right now, or has been, maybe this has been going on, is just quietly starting to back away from that thing. Or maybe there's a part of you that's just exhausted by it all. And the reality is, is you're like, I'm just going to sit down and you're stuck. I mean, think about it. Maybe it's a relationship for you. Maybe there's a relationship that really matters to you. And the truth of the matter is, is that over some time here, there's been some hurts that have started to stack up. And now the reality is, is that that obstacle, those problems, those things, it feels really large. It doesn't feel like a small moment anymore. It feels like a really big thing. And you find yourself staring at this going like, that's too big. I think I'm too small of an answer. I don't know what to do. And so you find yourself just quietly backing away from it, whether you even realize it or not. I mean, how many of us as parents, it's been a bit of a year, how many of us as parents find ourselves in that place with our kids? Or also, what about this? How many of us as kids find ourselves in a place with our parents in that same way where you're like, I, this feels too big and I feel too small. I don't know if I can do this. How many of us in our marriages with our spouses, our relationships, friendships, significant others, there's that thing and you're just like, I don't know. I thought maybe, but no, I don't think I can do this. Or maybe for you, it's not that it's a relationship. Maybe for you, there's something in your life that you've been engaged in or something that you're not proud of. And the reality is, is it feels like changing that now or stopping that or doing something different or moving past that. It's just too big. And you're too overwhelmed by it. And it's like a novel idea in your head, but when you look at it, you're just like, I can't. I'm too small. This is too big. And you find yourself just quietly backing away and you don't quite know what to do and you feel a little bit stuck. Or I bet you there's a group of us in here, you know, lastly, that it's not that there's like this thing in our lives, this one moment, or it's not this relationship. Maybe for some of us, the truth is it's life in general. And the truth is, is that there's just so many moments around us that have felt like unpredictable and hard and difficult and the problems seem too big and the things around us seem too large and we feel like too small of anything to make any kind of difference. And so you stare at all the obstacles and things around you and you just kind of sit down because what are you supposed to do about any of it? What, like you're a drop in the bucket of all of this. The obstacle's too big and we're too small. And so we find ourselves just quietly losing courage, backing away and going like, I don't think I can do that. See, the truth is for each of us at some point in our lives here, we're gonna, if you haven't already, you will, we're gonna find ourselves confronted with an obstacle, a problem in front of us that feels large. Then when you find yourself staring at it, you're gonna go, I don't know that I can climb that. I don't know that I can overcome that. I don't know that I can make my way down that because it's too big and I feel too small. And it's normal if you find yourself there. After all, you're a human being. I want you to think about that. Each and every one of us, we're finite. We are human beings. We don't know the future. We don't control everything. It is bound for this moment to happen at some point in our lives. You're in good company. But I want to ask us a question here this morning, just as a way of opening us back up to the possibility of stepping into the larger thing that's in front of us. And it's this, friends, what if the big problems that overwhelm us in our lives right now aren't overwhelming for God. And I ask that, and I know that a lot of us can answer that theologically. We're like, well, of course, God's all powerful and he's God, so he can do that and all the things. I get the right answer on that. I don't want us to answer that theologically. I want you to think of this personally. So I'm gonna ask it one more time, maybe a little differently, but what if the big problems that you face in your life right now are not overwhelming for the God that is with you here and now. What if that's true? 
Friends, what if God is actually for you? What if God is actually with you? What if God goes before you? And what if, you, what if before you ever take a step to descend down whatever ledge it is that you find in front of you, God's already there leading the way? Have you considered that possibility? You see what I hope this morning that you come away from with this, that when all said and done that we walk away and walk into our lives continuing on with is this. I hope we come to know that no matter how big the problem is and no matter how small we might come to feel, it is absolutely amazing what someone can do, what someone can step into when they trust that God is with them. It is absolutely amazing what someone can step into and they trust that God is with them. And the same is true for me and the same is true for you. And I hope you see it as we move through this this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna to turn to Judges chapter seven. You can follow along on your phones as well. Also be on the screen. In Judges chapter seven, we're gonna get acquainted with the Israelites and their leader, who is a man named Gideon. So just a little bit background, a little bit of background so far before we just get into the passage itself. This is a dark time for Israel. It's a weird time for Israel. The book of Judges is written this way, by the way. There's this series of dark times and then a judge or a leader comes in and helps like pull the people back to center and then everything gets kind of hard again. And then you just see this pattern go over and over again in the book of Judges. Gideon is the leader. Uh, that God calls to, to lead the people of Israel during a really hard time. See, the people of Israel at this point in time had resorted to hiding, to living in the mountains, in caves and in strongholds and different things because they felt very susceptible to larger armies and larger threats. There was a Midianite army, this was their enemies, that would swoop in with the Midianites' allies, right? This larger force. And during harvest time, during, during just times of the year, they would take all of the valuables and goods and the harvests and things that the Israelites needed. And so they'd resorted to places that they could protect themselves and fend things off and defend themselves. They, were, they felt weak and they felt small. This was a hard deal for the Israelites at this particular point. They'd also kind of gotten lost, lost sight of their story, right? The thing that had brought them there, they lost sight of their faith and the one true God and they'd ultimately begun worshiping the false idols of other nations and everything had just gotten a little sideways for them and things were getting a little difficult. So God calls a man named Gideon. He says, I want you to tear down the altars to these false gods and things that, that you guys have been worshiping. And I want you to return to the story. I want you to return to the thing I've been doing with you and through you guys as a nation. And I want you to lead them and I'll protect you against your enemies. This is what God more or less tells Gideon. And so he does, he tears down the altars. This angers a ton of people. And now they're, they're starting to encroach around him. The Midianites have this huge army. It's 120,000 people strong. That is a big army during this time. Gideon is just like a you know, small commander and he starts assembling all of his allies and all the people to his cause saying like, we need some help. And he gathers an army. And this is what we find ourselves in, his, in uh, Judges chapter seven, Gideon's gathered this army. It's 32,000 people that he's gathered to face 120,000 person army of his enemies. And we read this, Judges chapter seven, starting at verse two. It said, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. If you're missing this, I wanna pause for just a second. What, he, what God's telling him here is, you have too many soldiers to go into this battle because if you win, you guys are gonna think that it was all of your own might and your own strength. We're gonna need to reduce the number. That's crazy, right? Let's keep reading. Now, therefore, verse three, now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. 
Don't read this as just a story. Imagine yourself back in that situation. This is pretty crazy, is it not? There's a huge 120,000 person army that is gathering that you're gonna face. And God's told you, I'm gonna protect you and I want you to face this thing. And so if you're Gideon, you've gathered 32,000 people. You are outnumbered four to one. Those are not great odds in a battle, especially during this moment in history and this time, the way warfare and all that was constructed. Like this is a rough go. And it's in that where you're already outnumbered with four to one odds that God goes, your numbers are too big. We need to cut that thing down. So here's what you should do. Here's the healthy thing you should go do with all the soldiers and all the people that you've gathered. Just go start surveying who's really afraid right now. And if they're afraid, send them home. That'll boost morale. I'm being sarcastic, right? Like there's no way that that's a good thing. But that's what he does. Who's scared? And how many people of the 32,000 end up going home? 20,000, what, 22,000 of them. 22,000 people go, have you seen the 120,000 person army? Have you seen our history? Have you seen what? No, we're going home. And they're, they're like, of course I'm scared. And they leave. Gideon sends them all home. He's left with 10,000 people. The odds just shrunk really, really significantly. You know, there's all kinds of commentators and preachers who have talked about this over the years who have kind of extrapolated on why God did this. And there's this thing that keeps coming out as I've studied this and looked at this. Uh, where people have said, this is God just kind of cutting away from the people who would have ran in the first place, that they were too scared and they would have ran home in the first place. I just want you to know, the Bible doesn't give us any indicator that that is what he's doing here. God tells us what he's doing. He says really clearly in the passage we just read, he goes, the number you have is too many. And I want the credit for this thing. And you might look at that and go, why? That's bizarre. Well, think about this for just a second. See, the Israelites had been following this God Baal for what, the last seven years or so, maybe a little longer than that. So their faith in God, returning back to who had led them there and this faith, new faith with God, this is all really, really fresh and really new. The place that they've prayed, the thing that they've worshiped, all the stuff that they've done has been this other thing for like the last seven years. This is all brand new. And so what God is trying to do is he's saying, I'm gonna do an amazing thing through you. The story of Gideon is basically this, God going, I'm gonna do an amazing thing through you. So that when all is said and done and you return back to your everyday lives and you go back to live and exist as the nation that I care and love about, love so much, care for and love so much, that you'll remember who loves you, who walks with you, who leads you and who guides you and that you'll root your relationship with me in that kind of faith when all said and done, not just in the moment here. He wants to do something absolutely extraordinary so there's no mistaking it. And so he cuts the numbers even smaller. So they go from 10,000 now to this. Judges chapter seven, verse seven says, and the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, let me pause there. God goes to Gideon and he says, I want you to now pay attention of the 10,000 men that you have left to watch the way they drink when they go to the, when they go to the river. And the people who actually like lift it up with their hands and lap the water up like a dog, pay attention to those people. And so Gideon goes and does this. He surveys the people who drinks. And now this is what God says. With the 300 men who lapped, verse seven, I will save those for you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man to his home. Okay, so just in case you've missed this, Gideon went from an army of 32,000 men to an army of 12,000, right? Or 10,000, sorry. And then he went from an army of 10,000 to an army of 300 people that is supposed to stand up and overcome and face an enemy army of 120,000. Crazy, right? The people are scared. 
The obstacle in front of them was already too big. It was four to one odds. That was already going to be too hard. They, it was too big. They're too small. We can't overcome this. And all that's happened as the story has progressed is that the thing feels like it's gotten bigger and it feels like our forces have gotten smaller. The obstacle feels like it's just too big and it feels like everything else is too small. Our resources are limited. We don't have what we need. We don't have the amount of people. We don't have the things. Like, this isn't going to go well. This is a suicide mission. Gideon, we're not jumping off that ledge. Our bodies don't bounce. <laughs> We don't want to do this. And they're scared. The people are scared. In the Bible, it tells us that of the 300 men, it says that Gideon retained them. That word, if you look at the connotation in the Hebrew for the word retained, it means by force. Because you know who probably wasn't excited to go march off into battle? The 300 people who were picked solely because they drank from a river like a dog. Like you have a hard time trusting this kind of stuff, right? If this is what your reasoning is. Don't worry, guys, it's okay. God said, if you drink from the river like a dog, we're good. You're in. Like, you're like, why did I not put my face in the stream? They're freaking out. And here's the truth. They have good reason, right? I mean, that's overwhelming. But you know who else is really, really scared? Gideon. Gideon's really scared. Uh, but the truth is, here's the honest truth. This wasn't a suicide mission. The truth is, for them, it looked like a suicide mission. For them, it looked like an impossible obstacle. But the honesty is that's not what it looked like to God. I don't want us to miss that. So here's the first point here for this morning. It's this. When it comes to the thing in your life that you're facing, the obstacle in front of you, the problem you might be facing, I want to challenge you with this. See the obstacle in front of you from God's perspective. And I know that's hard. I know we're used to seeing it through our own eyes, our own perspective, because this is the life we're living as us. I get all of that, but just go through the discipline for just a moment of pausing and saying, if God were looking at the same, op same obstacle, you know, the God who is with me, the God who is for me, the God who loves me and cares and is here that I have a relationship with, if that God is looking at this obstacle, how would he see it? See, for Gideon, a 120,000 person army was a huge problem, so Gideon assembled a 32,000 person answer. And even then it wasn't enough. Even then people were scared and worried. And God looks at Gideon, as I said, and he says, send them home. And he keeps shrinking that down. And in the end, what we're left with is God's perspective on the problem itself. Think about this. What Gideon saw as needing a 32,000 person answer. What did God say? He says, that 120,000 person problem you're facing, I think I can overcome that with a 300 person answer. And did everybody else see it that way? No, they're terrified. Gideon's terrified. They're all shaking and wanting to run. At this point, the whole army would go home. They had to be restrained and retained to stay and to fight. And Gideon's in a tough spot where he'd be freaking out. Friends, when we feel like we have big problems and we're facing those things, it can feel to us sometimes like those things need huge answers. The only way to overcome the big problem in front of me is with some huge answer and I've got to have the resource and I've got to drum that up and I've got to have this and all of this stuff. So what ends up happening is we feel like we never have enough and we end up getting anxious and we end up getting fearful. Some of us end up getting apathetic where we look and we go, what's the point? If this is all I have to take on that thing, then what's the point? And so some of us quit before we ever start. Some of us back up or start sitting down from the very beginning because the reality is, is it just feels too big and like we're too small of an answer because we're seeing it through our own inabilities and we're seeing it through our own insecurities and we're seeing it through our own struggles as we stare. And that's normal, but there's something powerful that can happen when you pause and you try to see it through God's perspective. Friends, what if that problem in front of you is really just a 300 person potential? What if 
the obstacle in front of you isn't actually your end. It's not you falling off this thing. It's the beginning of you seeing just what God can do in and through you when you rise to face the difficulties of your life with him. I mean that. What if you chose to see the obstacle in front of you through his perspective? So when I was 10 years old, my dad took me on this hiking trip. It was a backpacking trip to Havasupai Falls in the Grand Canyon. If you have never been there, make it happen. It's amazing. It is absolutely gorgeous. Like if you can't go there, watch a video or something. It puts the Grand, the Grand Canyon on full display. It's absolutely amazing to see. Uh, and so I got the, I had the privilege of doing this when I was 10 years old. But it's a 10-mile hike in, we camped for a week, and then a 10-mile hike out. And I remember having a great time going in, you know, hiking down the canyon and going into the falls and all this stuff and hanging out for the week. And then after a week of just being tired and everything else, we go to hike out. And the last, I think it's like a mile and a half or so, is switchbacks up the side of the Grand Canyon wall, which is huge for a mile and a half. So my 10-year-old self, again, I repeat, my 10-year-old self, I was small, I was standing there looking at this. We're like, I'm tired and we've been walking all this way. This is at like mile eight and a half. I'm with my dad and we just sit and I look at this thing and I'm like, are you serious? We're supposed to go up that as people on horses with all of their gear go walking, like, you know, walking by us. I'm like, that is the way you're supposed to do this. What are we doing? Like, we, we bought the wrong ticket. You know, <laughs> why are we doing this? Dad, I don't think I can do that. My dad looks at me and he just smiles and he goes, you know what? I promise you, just keep going. We'll be fine and in an hour or so. We'll be up at the top. You'll be good. And then he just starts walking. And I just start walking behind him and I complained and I had a hard time. And sure enough, in what, about an hour, hour and a half, I found myself exhausted. It was very hard and it was super tiring, but at the top, no less, having climbed the thing. You see, sometimes we find ourselves feeling so small, staring at that thing in front of us. There's something about knowing, friends, or looking and seeing something through God's perspective that that canyon wall in front of you, that 120,000 person army, it starts to shrink down. And all of a sudden, the thing that you thought you couldn't do, you just gotta put your foot in front of the other and start walking knowing that he walks with you and is gonna do things through you. I don't know what it will be. I don't always know how it's gonna turn out, but I know that's the path. It's a powerful exercise, friends. I'll ask you one last time. What would happen if you started to see the obstacle in front of you through God's perspective? Gideon's trying to do this. God's told him, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to do this. You can do this. And so he's assembling people. But then we have this clue where he's actually really scared, just like everybody else. He's no different than them. God says, you can go down now, take the army. But if you're afraid, take your servant and go camp. Here's the verse. It's chapter seven, verse 10. It says, but if you're afraid, God's speaking to Gideon, to go down, well, then go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. This is the enemy camp. And you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp, to go against the camp. And Gideon doesn't choose option one where it's like, let's just go do this. He chooses, let's go spy on the camp because he's scared like you would be, like I would be, like we might be even right now. So he does what God tells him and he takes his servant down into the camp and he spies. And when he gets there, something remarkable happens. He's listening to the conversations of the soldiers in the camp and he hears one of the soldiers say, hey, I had this weird dream last night where we were in our camp, you know, there was the Midianite camp and this barley cake rolled into the camp. By the way, a barley cake would have been made of barley, the very same thing that the Midianites would have been thieving and stealing from the Israelites all those years. It's a very commonplace grain and he says, this barley cake rolled into the camp and suddenly the camp turned upside down, the tents collapsed. This was my dream. The other soldier, enemy soldier, hears this and goes, that dream means this. That is 
God saying that he has delivered, he has given power to Gideon and is delivering us into his hands. This is the enemy camp, friends. Gideon's in the enemy camp hearing this. No battle has been fought, no war has been waged, no struggle has been had at this point. That's amazing. Think about it. Just a second. This is good for our lives. I promise you. Before a battle had ever ensued, before there had ever been a fight, before anything had happened, God had already been doing something in the problem in front of Gideon. God had already been doing something in the obstacles there, so much so that the enemy camp already has belief amongst themselves that they are going to lose. This 120,000 army that was against the 30, like 32,000 initially when they saw this, think about it. God's already at work. It leads me to tell you this second point here this morning. When you step forward, to face the obstacle in front of you, when you step forward to face the problem in front of you, know that God got there before you did. I mean this. Whatever that thing is that you're facing, whatever that thing is that you're scared to step into that has you a little nervous, know that God got there before you did. That your steps won't be the first steps into that moment. He's already there. We can ask ourselves these kinds of questions, can't we? Where is there that God is not? Nowhere. We serve an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. There is no place that you will ever go in human existence that God is not, that has somehow removed him from space and time. There is nowhere, friends. That means that in the thing you're nervous about, in the thing you're staring at, even in that relationship, that person, that place, whatever that thing is, he's already in it. He's already in the midst of it. He's already working. Sometimes the craziest things in life are seeing the way he worked when we didn't even know it was coming. He's already there. What's important about that is oftentimes it feels like we're chartering the unknown. It's unknown to us. God's already there. When you know that, it can be like the middle schooler sitting on the large cliff face watching somebody go off and you're like, he just ran down in front of us and he's waiting at the bottom. We are good. It's still a scary 120 foot drop and yet there's a new kind of confidence, a new kind of gumption that comes with you and your eyes and your heart are open to a different type of experience than maybe they were before. As you see, as you wait to see, God, what have you been doing and what are you about to do through me? What's been like, you approach it almost with a sense of expectation and it can become very, very powerful, friends. And this is what you see happen. I hope that that brings you comfort in knowing that even here, even now, whatever that thing is, at the very least, I want you to know you're not alone. May it bring comfort to you even here and even now with what you face, knowing that you aren't the first to face it. God's already in it. He's already there. And may you find yourself opening your eyes and your heart to see and take in all that God might show you as you go. And this is what we see Gideon start to do. He's got a new kind of confidence. He steps in as the story continues. Gideon comes back to the Israelite army and he breaks them into three groups of 100. Right? So you've got these 300 soldiers now broken into these three groups. Gideon gives them these instructions. He says, I want you to take a supply jar and I want you to put a lit lantern inside of it. And I want you to take a, a, a horn that it will be used as a trumpet. It's called a shofar. I want you to take that with you. And we're going to go surround the enemy camp in the middle of the night. Sometime between, this happened sometime between 10 at night and midnight. This is when the enemy camp would have been changing guards. This is pre-electricity. We have to think about this. So really dark, really confusing. Middle of the night, people sleeping, changing of the guard, all of those things happening. They surround the enemy camp and wait for the signal. And on the signal, they blast the trumpets as loud as they can. And they shatter the jars and they pull out the, 
and they pull out the lanterns, the lit lanterns that are scattered about, and then they blow the shofar one more time. This time, not just to wake the enemy up and alert them, this time to inspire terror, and that there is an army and a whole group of people enclosed around them with all of these lights and lanterns, and the last step, they yell out one full-on loud battle cry. The Midianites wake up in utter confusion, and they don't know what's happening but they know they're under attack. And in fear, they all start to freak out in the confusion of darkness, so much so that they start to attack each other. Verse 21 says this, every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. They didn't have, even have to, some of them didn't even have to fight because the people were fighting themselves, is this thing flips on its head and sure enough, the camp collapses and the people go running away. And just like that, the obstacle before them is crushed and running off into the darkness as they remain in hot pursuit. There's more to that story that's another sermon for another time. But friends, that's powerful. It brings me to the third point here and it's this. Step into the problem like God is actually with you. When you find yourself in that moment with that thing in front of you and you finally go, okay, if he's here and I see this through his perspective and I gather a little bit of courage and I recognize that he's already in the midst of it and I can change my perspective that there's nothing happening and I've got to do all of this, but no, I just need to meet God in it and walk with God through it. And you finally get the courage to step into it. That moment when you do, step into that problem like God is actually with you. Can you imagine what would have happened if that 300 person army facing that 120,000 person problem had been like, this is impossible. This is stupid. This is ridiculous. We're gonna fail. We have to do this because the commander is making this. We have to do this because this is what a good soldier does. This is what it means to be a good person. This is what it means to be loyal. This is what it means to follow through and be with and all those things, but we're gonna fail. What would happen if they'd walked in with that mentality, they'd walked in thinking and believing this, how hard do you think they'd have blown that shofar? How loud do you think their battle cry would have been? How swiftly would they have broken those jars? No, you know what would have happened? Like many of us, when we step into something believing we're gonna fail before we ever even get there, when we step into something believing we are doomed and alone, what happens? You do it half-heartedly. You don't stand on two feet. You just kind of put one foot in and you're like, well, I'm ready to take the pain. Let's do this. And consequently, we live almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where we watch the struggle just start to get harder and things start to fail and things start to struggle around us. It gets really, really tough. I've learned this the most through trying to learn downhill skiing. I love skiing. It's one of my favorite things, but having learned myself and now watching people learn on several occasions, there's this thing that I realized with it. See, when we go to go skiing, what we're really trying to do is not learn how to ski. What we're really trying to do is learn how to not fall. That's day one. And that's what everyone's mission is. They're like, I'm putting these on. This is awkward. I'm going to fall. I'm going to go too fast. I need to not fall. And that's like everyone's mission. No one starts out trying to learn to ski. Everyone starts out trying to learn how not to fall. And consequently, if you've ever done this before, if you've ever watched somebody, it's exhausting, isn't it, that first day? It's really fun, but all you're doing is just you're bracing your legs and you're doing this thing called a snow plow and trying to skirt around on the mountain. It's because the whole day is you're fighting against your skis and you're fighting against the mountain because you're trying to control it all so that you don't fall because you believe you're going to fall, that that's the inevitable conclusion of the situation. 
And so you live like it and you do it. And it's fun because you learn a bit, but it's exhausting. And then this moment happens. There's this turn that occurs where all of a sudden you shift in your head to going, I'm absolutely going to fall and I have to stop myself to, you know what? I actually want to learn to ski. And when you do, you start to lean into your boots and you start to point your skis more down the mountain instead of trying to fight against it. And this thing starts to happen. You start to understand what it is to glide. And you start to notice that your skis are actually cut and carved in a way that allows them to maintain stability and control with the mountain as long as you go with your skis and stop fighting against them. And all of a sudden, it becomes an absolute blast. Unless you're just scared, terrified of moving quickly, in which case, like, it's probably not your thing. How many times in our lives, friends, do we find ourselves trying to face the thing that's in front of us, but it's like we're trying to fight the mountain the whole way down and we're trying to fight the skis beneath our feet. What would happen is if you step into the obstacle that's in front of you, you step into that problem, knowing that God is with you, you trusted the skis beneath your feet. What I mean by that is what would happen if you stepped into that thing fully trusting that God is with you and you decided, I don't know where he's gonna take me. I don't know what he's gonna do, but I wanna go with him rather than fighting against this, which is absolutely exhausting. And some of us know this, because how many of you in here are exhausted right now? How many of you in here are so fatigued by this? Because you're trying to take a step forward, but it's like a fight back and forth every step of the way. There's something about going with it that even when it's hard, all of a sudden your perspective shifts. You stop fighting against your life and you start going, God, what are you going to teach me here? I don't know if this is all going to work out the way I want, but what are you going to do in me? What are you going to do through me? What do you have to show me? What are you carving out in me that I wouldn't get any other way? And what are you doing around me that I get to revel in and see? Because your greatness hasn't stopped and it's not just stories from a page. It's alive in here, right here and right now, friends, for you, for me, for each of us. What would happen if you stepped into that moment with both feet in front of you? See, here's the thing. I don't know what it is you face right now. And for each of us, it's probably something different, isn't it? I don't know what the obstacle is. I don't have like the solution of, and here's the three steps to make it all rosy and work out, but I do know that it's your life. And I know that God is before you, that God is with you, and that he loves you. And I find myself wondering, what would happen if you saw that thing, that 120,000 person obstacle in front of you as the 300 person obstacle that maybe God sees? What gumption would it give you? What confidence would it, would it fill you with? Friends, there is a way forward. And if you trust that before you ever take a step that God is already there, what will it open your eyes to look for? What will you see that he's been doing? What's the thing that's already happening that you're not even aware of yet because you haven't stepped in to see it? And lastly, as you do step in, can I challenge you? Lean forward. I mean that, lean forward. Point your skis down the mountain. Let yourself go rappelling down the cliff. You have a great belay partner. <laughs> and as you make your way down, as you do, friends, trust that the God of the universe is actually with you and feel what it's like to move with him, I promise. It doesn't mean that everything goes great, but it is a much smoother ride. And the truth is, if you hear nothing else, just know this, no matter what it is that you face, you are not alone. I want to pray. And in just a moment, Andy's going to come out to close our service. God, we love you. We care for you, God. And we thank you. We thank you that you go before us. We thank you that there's nowhere that you are not. We thank you, Lord, that even in the thing that we're struggling with, even in the thing that feels like we can't climb it or climb down from it or tackle it or whatever, that you're already in it. 
that you're already moving. So open our eyes and our hearts to have a sense of confidence in what you can do. Teach us, show us, and Lord, help us to rise to the occasion that is our life in a way where we walk with you. Maybe a good ride. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.